People of Note with Richard Cock. And a very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on this Sunday evening. Always from 6 to 8 we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. Tonight my guest is Jonathan Rocksmith. Many of you will know him from his performances. He's a very popular performer and it's wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Have we had you before ever? Maybe I don't I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I think this is the first. We yeah. we we've always said we're going to. Yes. And then I'm I'm off on a plane somewhere. Off somewhere. <laughs> and it sounds as though you're just about off somewhere now, are you? Where yes. Are you, where are you off to next? Off to uh, Tel Aviv for the Israeli premiere of The Phantom of the Opera. I can't believe it. The premiere the in premiere, Israel? The premiere. It's never been. They've never had it. It's never been. This world tour that I'm on now has far more premieres to it because of the the way the set is, is designed. Um what you see is exactly the same, but the way it fits together is completely different, which means more theatres can accommodate it, which also means theatres that have always wanted it can get it. And the Israeli Opera House is one of those theatres that has been clamouring for it for years, but the size was too yeah. big. Now it, it's perfect. Yes, because I remember the um, the Artscape Theatre had to be changed in order to accommodate these uh, particular performances. I think it was a price tag of two million rand or something yeah. that they had to renovate. Um, whereas this this production, like I say, the, the the best thing about it is the technology has been updated, which means you don't have to tear a theatre down to put it in anymore. And um, we've had our, our Malaysian premiere, we're having our Israeli premiere, our Dubai premiere. It's amazing the cities yeah. that we're going to. Because just when people talk round about, you know, we know who's performing where, but you've obviously been out of circulation in South Africa for a while because you've been doing this Phantom Tour. Yes, um, I was, I had my last concert at the Teatro last year uh, in uh, mid-August and we finished on the Sunday. The Monday I got on a plane and I went to New Zealand to do Chicago and I did that tour until January and we did New Zealand and I think 11 cities in China which was very, very exciting. I got to be on the Great Wall at last. Um, not performing, just as a tourist. Oh, I thought you were going to say you wrote your name on it. <laughs> no. no. Um, and then I went to Manila in January to start rehearsals for Phantom. And we've now been in Manila, Singapore, and Malaysia. So I'm on a small break now. Uh, and then we're off again very, very soon. And is it good to be home? It was very odd because I've been away for a year, um, as my gran will tell you. Um and it, it, it was odd for me because I, I didn't know how I was going to slot back into it because, you know, a year is a long time. Um, it took me three minutes in Joburg traffic and I, was, and I just thought, I'm home. <laughs> the sounds, the smell, the noises. And the first thing I did is I got home. I was home for literally 45 minutes and my friends arrived and we had a braai, which was the first braai I'd had in a year. <laughs> Lamb chops, burevors, that, it's a fun It's so weird, the things you miss. Yeah. And you really only miss them when you do them again, you see. Or maybe you missed your braai. Oh, I certainly missed went. it while I was away. But yeah. um, it was, it's, it's really been a wonderful welcome back. And yeah. people have, the messages I've been getting and, and emails, it, it really is heartwarming. Because, you know, you don't think anybody will miss you while you're away. You know, you think, well, I'll be away for a year and we'll pick up where we left off. Not the case. Social media has changed everything. Yeah. Let's listen to your first choice of music, which is the waltz number one for piano. This is by Billy Joel and is played by Richard Jew.
Waltz number one for piano by Billy Joel, played by Richard Jew. The choice of Jonathan Rocksmith, who's my guest in People of Note. And as you heard, he's home for three weeks. He's been on a massive tour. Just give us an idea of your schedule when you're on tour, because I guess it's pretty busy. How many performances a week? Well, we do eight shows a week. That's a lot. Yes. So Tuesday, Do you have Wednesday, a day off? Yeah, Monday is the sacred day off. Um, I wish it was a Sunday, because a Sunday's a proper day off. You know, things happen. Unfortunately, on a Monday, everything's shut. But um, we're, I'm grateful for it nonetheless. Um, a standard schedule overseas is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 8 p.m. Uh, Saturday is a 2 p.m. and an 8 p.m. And Sunday is generally a 2 and a 6. However, when you're playing The Phantom, it's, it's slightly more rigorous because you spend more time at the theater uh, in terms of the makeup, makeup yeah. and the prosthetic that we, 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 we apply. Um, it started at about two hours to put the makeup on. We've got it down to 56 minutes exactly. And this is someone helping you with Yes, it. I have yeah. a wonderful makeup artist from the UK called Alice Cridland. And um, anybody who's played The Phantom will tell you that your makeup artist is your coach, your guru, your your friend, your confidant, and, and she is no exception. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to, to have her. Um, and she does all of that for me. And uh, you, you generally, you know, you're at the theatre before everybody and you leave after everybody. Oh, because it's, it's a mission to get it all off again. Mm, because, okay, so the prosthetic comes off, but there's still the glue to come off and you have to moisturize. You, you have to be very, very careful with that, that glue because it's, it's, it's the real deal. We're not just putting on a little bit of, you know, eyelash glue. This is the real stuff. Telesis, they call it. Um, but it's, it, it is wonderful to, to be in that environment. I now I've become accustomed to leaving my door open because if you keep your door closed, everybody assumes that you're getting into character. And that's not the case. It's just cold. You know, so I, I do leave my door open and, and hope and pray for visitors because I will say what people don't realize is that this role, um, wonderful though it is, is very lonely backstage because whenever I'm on stage, everybody's off. And whenever everybody's on stage, I'm in the wings staring, you know, wishing I was in masquerade, for instance. But um, it's it's important to me to to see see people during it. Otherwise, you can go crazy. All those stories you hear about phantoms going mad. That's why it's sort of like solitary confinement. It really but is by choice in this case. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, you, you know, it. like I say, I will never, ever not love playing that role. But. Um, the backstage sacrifice is, is one that you have to be very careful with. Otherwise, you do end up going a little screwy. And at some stage, I also want to talk about uh, the vocal health that you must have in order to do mm. this. Because to do eight performances a week is pretty hectic. Yeah. Are you an, an only phantom or is there another one? Luckily, um, we have uh, two understudies who, if, I'm, if I wake up in the morning, I'm sounding like Joe Cocker or if I'm sick or any of those things, um, we have uh, a wonderful insurance policy in both of them. I have to say their names. Their names are uh, Michael Gillis, who uh, played Raoul for many, many years in the American productions. Um, and then my favorite, my favorite, favorite um, sort of past phantom, um, Ian is his name. And uh, he he was the uh, the Hamburg phantom. He was in Copenhagen. Uh he, he did it for, I think, 15 years. Um, 
his name, his surname escapes me because he always says, please just call me Ian. Um, uh, but he is, he is so wonderful and generous in, in the giving of his time. Um, and between the two of them, I, I always feel that if I need to look after myself, I can. And the production goes on without me quite happily. Are they also something else in the yes, production? Yes, they play, they play yes. other roles as well. Okay. So there's a whole sort of shuffling of parts if something does happen. Yes, yes. Oh. Um, we have four swings. Uh, those are those are people who are extremely talented people who can learn nine different roles each that uh, they can go on at, at the drop of the hat and just slot it. What am I doing today? Okay, I'm going on for Michael. He also plays the the confidant in the Il Muto sequence. He's also one of the firemen at the end, and they sure. just slot in. Yeah. It's, it's quite, quite tricky amazing. to remember what you are when you're on stage. Well, well, I suppose all, you've got a costume. They all have <laughs> their, their Bibles, they yes. call them, um, their show Bibles, um, where any particular characters, their costume breakdowns, what they have to wear, shoes, what different makeup they have to do, which microphone they have to be at, at, at what point. It's yeah. amazing. Your next choice is by George Gershwin. It's the third movement of his piano concerto in F. Well, that sounds that must be a very old recording of the <laughs> concerto in F by George Gershwin. Sounds as though you're sort of through a cardboard tube. Indeed. So uh, probably an original recording of George Gershwin himself playing. That was the third movement from the concerto in F, the choice of Jonathan Rocksmith, my guest in People of Note. Jonathan, we talked about briefly about vocal health mm. because doing eight performances a week is hard on the vocal cords. Yes. Um, and you've got standbys, but even so, um, have you had vocal coaching in the past? I'm very proud to say, and I can finally endorse him, Nicholas Nicolaides is the man who gave me my voice for Phantom, um, hands down. Uh, when, I, when I first did the production in 2011, I, um, I was considered very young, um, understandably. Um, you were. I, yeah, I mean, I was, I was 24. I was the, I was the youngest English-speaking English Phantom, that's what they tell me. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't believe in luck. I certainly don't believe in um, coincidence. I believe in timing. Peter Turin always teaches me about timing. Um, and through a set of circumstances that aren't really necessary to go into now, I ended up being bumped up to the role full-time and it was scary because I was initially cast as Raoul, the young lover, six shows a week and then the Phantom, two shows a week. Um, and Nicholas, I went to his uh, his, his vocal studio um, and my fondest memory of him is, uh, it has to do with a glass of water. He gave, I walked in, gave me a glass of water and he had this beautiful upright piano and I did what everybody does without thinking. You take a sip and then you put it on the piano. And he went, please no. And next to the piano, there was a little table with a coaster. <laughs> and I got the hint. And for, I don't know how many sessions we had, he um, unlocked this voice that I needed for Phantom. Not an amazing voice, but a careful, safe voice, um, which wouldn't ruin my, my vocal cords, as you say. Um, playing the Phantom is one thing, but playing the Phantom in different territories, that's the tricky part. Because Manila is very humid, but it's very polluted. 
So you don't think about the air quality, what that does to your vocal cords. Singapore is extremely hot, which means there's lots of aircon. So that takes its toll. Malaysia is a mix of both. So you are constantly navigating how to how to do it in different environments. Well, and how to cope with those different environments, whether you need to drink more water or dry out or whatever it is. I mean, I'm still in the habit. As you see, I've got my two-liter bottle with it. me here. Yeah. It's just part of the routine that yeah. I, I do now. And sadly now, Nicholas uh, and his family have left to go and live in Canada. I know. So, And he was vocal coach to all my singers as well in my choirs and so on. So that's a, a big loss for it us It certainly here. is. Yeah, but he's he's taught a lot of people over the years, and he was very well taught himself mm. by Sari Lamprecht. So vocal health, do you have people suffering from vocal problems it's on a, tour? It's, it's a common thing. I mean, I, I had a, 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 a pretty nasty bout of laryngitis in Manila, um, you know, finding your feet. Um, and also, I'd just flown in from Shanghai, and... You and know, planes are hopeless. It's too. the worst the thing. Worst, you yeah. need at least a week to recover from a flight, no matter where you are and no matter who you are. Um, but uh, when we, the thing that sets this company apart, in my mind, to other companies I've been part of, is there's no, sh- not, not that South African companies shame you if you have a tired performance, but there is such a support structure in place where they say to you, if you need a day, please take it and don't feel that you're letting the show down. Um, and we have that in South Africa, but when you're in when you're on an international tour, you think, oh, it's going to be even more pressure. There isn't. There's even more kindness. Your next choice is the overture to Candide. Leonard Bernstein is conduct is the composer. The Minnesota Orchestra, who visited South Africa recently, are conducted by Osmo Vanska. I agree with that audience, don't you? Yep. That, I mean, that's an overture. I mean, how do you go on stage and perform a musical after that is your overture? Um, Bernstein has been one of my absolute favorite composers. He and Gershwin sort of vie for the top spot in my mind. Um, that sort of jazzy uh, fusion sound, but then the most wonderful classical sensibility. Um, and that is just the most... Uh, you know, uh, Glitter and Be Gay is one of the most ridiculous arias ever. And my Christine on tour now, Megan Pacerno, it's her signature tune. Yeah. So I always think of her whenever I hear Bernstein. Have you ever been in West Side Story? <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, I have. I was in the Fugards production in uh, Cape Town and Joburg. And um, what was so amazing about that is, aside from having a live orchestra, you know, live musicians should not be a luxury these days. We should be accustomed to that, in my opinion. But I get the cost structures involved. But to hear Bernstein played live every night, whenever we had the prologue, that da 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 da, it's just there's nothing like it. Yeah, and I think ballet dancers say the same thing. There's just a, an added flexibility in a live performance that you don't have with oh, recorded music. Yeah. They're, they're listening and they're watching. Yeah. You know, and the audience can feel that connection between a dancer and a musician. It's, 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 ta- it's tangible. So tell us about the, the production that you're on at the moment. Is it all South Africans or just some South Africans? This is a truly multinational company. We, um, I think the South Africans just about make up the majority in cast and crew, but we have Americans, we have uh, British people, we have Australians, we have uh, Chinese, Taiwanese, Japanese, um, Russian, 
I'm just trying to go through it now. I don't want to miss anybody out. But um, it's, it is the most multinational company I've ever been in. But it is amazing how many productions we have that go from South Africa with mainly South Africans or all South Africans. We are the export musical industry of choice at the moment. I know, but I find it extraordinary. And it, it does deplete our forces from here. The, I have to say the, that is yeah. the drawback, yeah. and I, I do agree with you. But what it does is it gives our actors um, and and musicians, I have to say, because sometimes our orchestras travel as yeah, well. Yeah. It, it gives us an opportunity to see what different infrastructures mean for the product. So you go overseas with a musical, and you are working with people who teach you a different outlook on the job. In South Africa, I I truly believe. Like, whenever anybody says, oh, that was so world-class, I always say, what does that even mean? No, we're South African. That yeah. should That's enough. Yeah. That should be enough. To say we're world-class is so apologetic. That should be a given, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I think we must have a pretty good name now because our productions go all over the place. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, just this past year, we've had The Sound of Music, we've had Chicago, we've had Phantom, we've got Matilda on at the moment. Um we are a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, the thing that sets us apart is South Africans will find a way to get it done. A boor mark, a blood. A but <laughs> it's not even a, um, a, a joke anymore. It's true. Um, our truly unsung heroes, put the musicians and the performers aside, our crews. Stage crews. Yes. Yeah. You cannot believe what our teams can do in a quarter of the time that other people who are accustomed to having years to put a show together, uh, our crews are, are changing the game like you cannot believe. And nobody ever discusses them. Uh, they are the ones we should be proud of more than anybody else, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, they've obviously been well-trained here. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, companies like Splitbeam, um, Alistair Kilby, for instance, what he, what he does with, with mentoring and bringing in new talent is exceptional. Tell us about your next choice, That Lucky Old Son. That Lucky Old Son is a, a Jerry Lee Lewis song that um, I did in my last show, I think July last year, literally a year ago, um, uh, from Great Balls of Fire. It was a musical about his life. And That Lucky Old Son is just that song that's always stuck with me from that show. David Kemper, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Gerald McGee performing that lucky old son. Now, you're about to have a short break from touring because you've got a show coming up here. Yes, yes. Um, sort of a little welcome back, <laughs> in a way. Um, it's a show called Lenny, Andrew, Steve, and Me. Um, and it's about the music of the three composers that I think have contributed to the structure of the perfect musical. So you've got Leonard Bernstein, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Stephen Sondheim. The way the show came about is last year, the Theatre on the Bay in Cape Town was being renovated. And Peter Turin called me into his office and he said, I want you to do an evening of the music of these three composers. That was the conversation. And that was going to close the theatre for three months whilst they rebuilt her, gave her a facelift and put her back out on the streets to work for her bread. <laughs> in a sense. And Theatre on the Bay is now beautifully renovated, and I had the honor of, of doing that. And he, you know, Peter Turin is, is very uh, savvy when it comes to uh, programming. 
and he saw a gap and he said, you, you must do it in Johannesburg as well. And so that's exactly what we're doing. Not to say that, you know, the Monty Theatre is being closed for re- renovation, but we are expanding the show even further and uh, discovering new songs in it. And basically it's, it's, it's an excuse to spend two hours singing my favorite music. Um, and what we're doing is we're stripping it all back um, with the audience what a theatre looks like without all of the finery in it. We're taking all of that out on stage, so you get to see the back wall, which not many people get to do. We're stripping the music back as well. Um, and Rowan Bucker, who uh, has come up the ranks as a very, very fine musical director, is playing the piano for me. And we're going to just tell the story and uh, show the audience just what I mean when I say that these three titans gave us the structure of the perfect musical. And we, we sing all of their music. We, you know, the lyrics are there, the music's there, some of the orchestral stuff. We've got wonderful little piano versions of. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to bringing that to the Monte Cassino Theatre. And if people are interested, they can book through CompuTicket or the box office at 011-511-1988. Just give it again. O double one five double one one nine double eight. Lots of doubles. Yeah, <laughs> and that's coming at Monte Cassino. Uh, in the is that in the small theatre? That's in the main theatre. In the main theatre, main, main theatre, theater. not yeah. the Teatro. Please oh, don't okay. go across the road. The Monte Cassino Theatre. Um, it's the the very colourful one downstairs. And that's from the 13th of September to the 6th of October. Gosh, it's amazing that we're already already talking about September, crazy? October. I know. I know. Jeepers. Uh, and your next choice of music is by uh, an interesting guy, Albert Catelby, uh, whose music is not so popular anymore, but I think it's fantastic. I love it. And he's written all those wonderful things like In a Monastery Garden, and this is In a Persian Market. In a Persian Market by Albert Catelby. That was the Slovak Philharmonic Orchestra and Male Chorus under Adrian Lieper. I'm interested why you chose that. There's a weird story behind that. When I was in primary school, Robin Hill's primary school, um, we we always used to have uh, a musical. No surprise there. But our drama teacher, Kelvin Solomon was his name. He, um, He used to write them. And uh, we were going to be doing a new kind of a Aladdin-y type production, but it was going to it was going to be a brand new musical about a sultan. And uh, one of the musical sequences was that entire piece, and it was we were going to you know dramatize it and everything. And I've never forgotten it because I went and I got the old sheet music for it, and I remember that the cover was a couple of camels, a couple of baskets of uh, figs, and dates. And there were lots of ladies in uh, flowing robes and that. I've never forgotten it. And I, I went and I Googled him uh, a few years later, and I found all his other music. And as you say, in a monastery yeah. garden. And I learned to play most of it. Yeah. So it's, well, it's okay, kind of Well, this is, this is a good moment then to talk about your own musical training. How did you get into all this? I had a very poor social life as a child, so I turned <laughs> to the piano. Yeah. That's the, the, the truth of it. Um, and again, Robin Hills Primary School has a lot to do with that. Because we had Kelvin Solomon, we also had Chris McShane, who was the choir master, and he recognized that I was very curious about this black box with all the white keys on it, and he taught me how to read music, and he explained that if you want to go up, you have to sharpen the note, and if you want to go down, you have to flatten a note, and he let me work it out from there, 
And he used to do something very generous. He used to leave his music room unlocked so that I could go and play the piano whenever I wanted to after school because we didn't have one at home. And I, I started to learn even more. And he would just slip me little albums here and there to, to take music. And one of them was The Phantom of the Opera, the vocal selections. And um, I sat and I, you know, I worked it out and I played through it. And uh, he, he nurtured me from afar um, without ever you know, being too pushy. He gave me my space. He, he let me have the piano whenever I, I wanted to. And um, he, he's, he's no longer in the country now. But uh, if anybody remembers Mr. McShane, they'll, they'll know he was a very, very passionate choir master and music teacher. Well, you never know who's listening to this program. Well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> because very often you'll find someone is listening who will remember Mr. McShane. I hope so. So if do you have a, a Facebook page or a website or something I, where people can I do, drop I do. you messages? And, and, Just and they, tell us. And they do all the time. Um, I'm on Facebook under my name, but my my website is jonathanrocksmith.com. And, and if people and want to message quickly, me, Rocksmith is R O X M O U T H. That's correct. Rocksmouth. Yes. yes. Um, but if people want to email me, um, I'm at Jonathan at JonathanRocksmith.com. But if you go to the website, there is a portal there that you can click on, and it takes you straight through. So there you are. If anyone remembers Mr. McShane, uh, please just drop Jonathan a line because I'm always amazed at how many people come out of the woodwork who are listening to these programs. Oh yes, but yeah. classic FM. I mean, I I, I was. You know, a listener for years. Well, um, before I, you know, started meeting all the people I was listening to, yeah. which is just the most amazing yeah. thing. And when you're traveling, um, do you keep in touch by? Because computers are amazing. Cell phones are amazing. You can listen to and streaming. One oh two seven. Yeah, streaming. It's, yeah. It, it's, I certainly do. Um, yeah. Whenever I, I'm, I'm a little bit homesick, I do end up streaming a lot because um, I think it's important to remember, you know, home as much as you can. Well, and I guess you're in touch with people all the time on your you know, phone. What, what a time to be alive that we are connected by these little black, you know, remote control sized devices in our pockets all the time. We miss out nothing. We know everything in real time. Um, however, some people forget the, the time difference and you're woken up at strange hours, but it's, it's, it's fine. You've got to know when to switch it off. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Phantom of the Opera because somebody gave you the the book to play from mm -hmm. and here comes you singing it now i don't know you perhaps when we've heard it you can tell us which when this was and which production you were working on absolutely but here it comes That is, I think, easily my, my favorite song to perform. Um, I recorded that with my friend Adam Howard, who opened a studio called Howard Audio in Bryanston. Uh, Brian Schimmel did the arrangements, and um, all of that is it, it's part of an album that I called My Lloyd Webber, because everybody has a Lloyd, a Lloyd Webber album these days, and I wanted to differentiate it, so I called it My Lloyd Webber. And uh, it's 13 of my f most favorite Lloyd Webber tracks, which we recorded with a full orchestra, and uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud of that album because I, uh, I, I learned how to genuinely collaborate with musicians and how to talk to a musician and read a score and understand what that string line does, even the violas. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Are these, uh, have you got other albums as well? I do. I, I'm, the Lenny, Andrew, Steve and Me is going to be my eighth album. 
Um, and uh, I have them all on my website, and we have them at the theatres. And it's, it, it's quite lovely to be able to put things down. So there you are. If you want to get those albums, you can go to the website and you'll find all the details there. I'm speaking to Jonathan Rocksmith on People of Note tonight. It's just about seven o'clock. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back after this. That was the Beer Barrel Polka, the choice of Jonathan Rocksmith, who's my guest in People of Note. Do you enjoy beer? <laughs> what do you What do you drink? I mean, you've got to be careful. That's because the thing. Alcohol dries you out. It too. really does. Yeah. Um, I uh, I do believe in a in a Jameson's every now and again, because it has antibacterial properties. That's what I tell people. That's what I believe. Um, but I don't I don't drink a lot at all. Yeah. Um, I uh, it, it it's water, and when I'm feeling really risky, a Coke Zero. But um, uh, you know, whiskey is an opening night drink and a closing night drink. Yeah, because very often one thinks of the glamour of, you know, a performer's life. But actually, you've got to be really careful. We are, in a way, um, long-distance athletes. Yeah. You know, you have to think that way. Um, you know, when I start the week on a Tuesday and I'm feeling nice and strong, I don't get too, you know, cocky and I, you know, you, you just knock the theater walls out that night because you're feeling strong. You have another seven shows to think about, especially the matinees. The Sunday matinee is the hardest thing in the world because you've done two performances on the Saturday, you've had seven hours sleep, and now you have to be up early for a 2 p.m. It's inhuman, but uh, we, we find a way and we do it. Yeah, so there's not much time in it. No, certainly um, not. But when you're so, how do you relax? Um, apart from sleeping, because presumably after all the shows you go to bed. No, uh, it takes no? you forever to fall asleep. Oh, you, know, really? you do the Phantom of the Opera. Well, you have to do your makeup off first. I mean, yeah. I if it's an eight o'clock, I generally have got the makeup off properly by about quarter past eleven. Yeah. Um, I'm usually in you know in my, in my apartment by twelve. I'm only asleep by two thirty. Yeah. It takes me for ever to come um you know tea and trash television is the best way to just knock yourself out of that space and television <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I i do battle with insomnia yeah it's something that i think most performers have as part of their lives because we we do very exciting things at night yeah. um you know when, when you're in when you're in the real world you have something exciting maybe once a week that's every night of my life it sounds like i'm complaining i'm not but that's the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. And then so when you're not watching trash television, I mean, say you're awake during the day, do you read a lot? Or I do how, read a lot. How do you I do. keep yourself um, busy? I read a lot. I, I love to go to um, markets and things and have a look around and anything basically that is the, the polar opposite of what I do at night. That's I, It's all about balance, I think. Otherwise, you will go mad. Um and I, I, I take my hat off to those people who are able to eat, sleep, breathe theater all the time. I used to be one of those people, but I, I think I've mellowed in my, in my sort Your. of 30s. <laughs> um, into, it, it's all about balance for me. Um, and I like to leave the theater at the theater as much as possible now. Um, that's what I've learned on these tours now. Um, and it, it, I, I certainly feel a lot calmer than I than I was a year ago, and you've been doing it now for how long? Hmm. Two thousand five, so fourteen years. 
getting getting there. Yeah, it's quite punishing though. I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah, um, it's it's that. No, it's, it's in your of, blood. The funny thing is, I mean, you know what I mean by this. You know, you you have those moments when you're rehearsing something and you think, "Why am I doing this to myself? I can't keep doing this. I need to find something. I need to go work in the post office." And that audience applauds the first time, and it's all worth it. And I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. And what about plans for the future? Well, let's let's listen to your next choice okay. of music, and then we'll talk about that. This is uh, Freddie Mercury. Uh, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It's called Love of My Life. David Palmer is the arranger. Stan Zultzman plays the saxophone. Music by Freddie Mercury, Love of My Life. And, of course, we've just had that great movie about Freddie uh, Mercury, so he's the talk of the town. Absolutely. I mean, and that was the song from that yeah. movie, you know. Um one of my uh, uh, girlfriends in high school, that was her favorite song. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's always stuck with me because I didn't know it. And she, she always used to tell, tell me about it. And then I heard the live recording where the audience sings along with him. And that's, you know, as a performer, that's, that, that's something that you always strive for, that level of connection with an audience. Yeah. Actually, when we were doing uh, In a Persian Market, I was going to say, I always get the audience to sing along. Uh, bakshish. Bakshish, yeah. bakshish, And it's so easy to teach them. And audiences love being involved. I, yes. Well, for me, anyway, I find that audiences love being involved, you know, actually involved doing something. Yeah. It's not so easy when you're doing Yeah, phantom. You know, when you're in a musical and there's a, we, we call it the fourth wall, uh, where we, we, the, we, we believe that what we're doing on stage is real and we don't see the audience and they're not there. But... Um, in my in my concerts, in some of my other shows, uh, certainly Great Balls of Fire, the Liberace show we did, audiences are waiting to join in. Especially, you know, if their toes have been tapping for the last twenty minutes, they want in because they see that we're having fun on stage, and you get to share that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's there's nothing like you know, audience participation can be so cringe, but there is nothing like audience participation done right. Everybody's on the same wavelength, and you just you connect. Yeah. There's nothing like that. And I mean, it's it can be as simple as, you know, the last line of, and I think to myself, everyone join in, what a wonderful mm. world. It's a very simple thing, and yet people know it's coming, and they just join in. It's 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 magic. It's it's really magic. And I I love getting audiences involved when oh, I'm certainly. performing. And I'm certainly. sure you do, too. Well, I remember when we did Starlight Classics yeah. together, you know, that the Hippopotamus the song <laughs> was so much fun. Yeah. Mud, mud, glorious mud. Indeed. What a great song. So we were talking about what else you had coming up. I know you've got uh, 13 September to 6 October at Monte Cassino. Mm -hmm. Lenny, Andrew, Steve and me. What else is in the pipeline? I've got another album coming up um, based on the music of Phantom, actually. No surprise there. But what we're doing is we are taking the music of The Phantom of the Opera as well as Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. And we are coming up with all different uh, deliveries of those, arrangements, some orchestral stuff. We're going to be doing a few uh, f uh, piano uh, fantasias with a PH. Um, that's, that's my new favorite thing now. Everything is with a PH. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we got an album. But I have a lot of travel ahead of me still. Um, this this production of Phantom is taking me to places that I never dreamt of. Uh, we're going to uh, 
a whole a whole f- a bunch of countries were going to Korea. Um, we've got uh, a few more seasons overseas next year. Uh, one, two, three, four, four cities. Some of them haven't been announced, so I can't say yeah. where. But I, uh, I certainly am happy to stay with Phantom for as long as they'll have me. Who's behind all these tours? Who's the chief organizer? Well, I, I think it would be remiss of me to say that if it if it weren't for Peter Turin, I wouldn't be on this tour right now. But um, in terms of the production team, uh, the really useful group, which is Andrew Lord Webber's company, they're part of it. There's an American company called Troika Entertainment. They're part of it. Our very own Paul Warwick Griffin and Gareth uh, Hewitt-Williams of GWB are sort of managing this tour, so they're part of it as well. Uh, Lunchbox Productions, which is a New Zealand-based company. So, as you can hear, these are yeah, from all over the yeah, world. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it really is mind-boggling the amount of people that it takes to put on a show these days. You know, they always say there's that adage, it takes a village. We are now in the region of a, of a city to put a, a show on. Um, I suppose they're very technical also, so there's a lot of stage hands required the word is expensive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think because uh, it's the, the, the theater is a handmade enterprise it's also a, a hand-run enterprise as as much as you say oh everything's computerized you still need somebody to hit the space bar it, it never just runs on its own um and our company of phantom is in the region of 165 people you see it's every night jolly expensive yeah um but I think that's part of the reason why it is so successful. Um, it's a genuine collaboration from beginning to end. And you can feel the involvement and the love for that show every night by the people doing it. Um, and we are a family with a PH. And uh, we, we tour the world. And uh, if you look at any of the people in the, in the cast at the moment on social media, at least one of us at one point in time is always saying, oh, I miss my family with a PH. <laughs> And now tell me, when you go to places, let's say, like China, does this team take over the whole theater, or do you work with local technicians as well? Because I'm just now thinking about language problems, for example. There's always, you know, interpreters. Um, and yes, we always have a contingent. Um, our orchestra, for instance, is, I think it's 18 pieces or something. Um, six of those are permanent. And uh, the week before we arrive in every city, the conductor and the and the core orchestra will go across and, and rehearse. Um, backstage, the dresses are always going to be local. So I've had two wonderful dresses so far. Um, May, who was in uh, the Philippines, I promised her that I'd, I'd, I'd mention her, and Shafiq, who was with me in, in Singapore and Malaysia. Um, also in terms of the running of the crew, uh, certain flymen who are up, up in the wings, they're local. So it really becomes a, a way of learning about a different culture every time. And uh, China, specifically, will have three interpreters. Three? three. Oh, you mean three to cover the whole Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one for crew, one for cast. Yeah. One yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Gosh, that really is quite something. Well, we're going to hear now. Uh, you must tell us about this when we've heard it. This is from Man of La Mancha, Don Quixote, Linda Ada. How, how is that for pipes? Unbelievable. Um, Linda Edda is, I think, the finest uh, 
interpreter of Frank Wildhorn's music. Frank Wildhorn is a composer of musicals such as Jekyll Eyed. He also did a version of Alice in Wonderland. But she is a shining star. I mean, that song is usually sung by a man. Most people know Placido Domingo's version. But um, she is such an exciting Broadway belter, like a proper belter. But what makes her different is she's a she adores storytelling as a as a vocalist. Not many vocalists get that right, you know, with songs out of context from Broadway musicals. She just she's one of my absolute favorites. And uh, as you heard on that, her upper register is out of this world. Yeah, but when you say a Broadway belter, it it always worries me. So, you know, hearing voices pumping out those decibels like that must be really hard on the tubes. It, it can be. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it also it comes down to a physiological thing. Yeah. You either have it or you don't um, to be 100% safe. Some people can learn it and can pace themselves and get it right. Some people can just do it. She's one of those. Yeah. There you are. That was Linda Eder singing The Man of La Mancha, Don Quixote. The choice of Jonathan Rocksmith. He's my guest in People of Note tonight. And as you've heard, he's got a show coming up at Monte Cassino from the 13th of September. But you also mentioned earlier that you were off to Israel. Yes. And you've talked about a couple of your plans. You've got another few cities. You're not allowed to talk about all of them because mm. they're not all necessarily uh, done deals yet. Yes. Where... I, uh, well, one of the other questions I want to ask you is about the amazing theatres that I hear about in China, for example. Yes. Are they like state-of-the-art places? Th- there's a funny thing going on. They are just building theatres left, right, and centre, which means that they are looking for product, which means actors like our, our South African contingent are going to be in work for quite some time. Um, the theatres that they are building are not just opera houses. They are not just you know conservatoires. These are the latest, when I say the latest technology, I mean there was a theater in um, Beijing that had walls that moved to accommodate different acoustic levels for types of theater productions. So they're really high tech. We're talking, yeah. When we say like super high tech. Everything worth having, they say, is made in China. Same for the theaters. Yeah, but once upon a time when it said made in China, that meant sort of. Uh, Substandard. Yeah. Not Cheap the case and anymore. Not yeah, the case no. anymore. They, they, there is such a reverence and curiosity for musical theater now in China that uh, we, we were doing Chicago. And I was nervous because Chicago is quite risque. And I thought, oh, it's quite conservative out there. I tell you, the sequins, the feathers, the, the bow ties, the, they go ballistic for it. And t- to feel that from an audience is amazing. Especially because the language barrier doesn't exist. We have our um, sort of... Sir titles. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Sir titles on either side. And um, the show just goes on it's as if it's anywhere else. And the the facilities that were made available to us were... I've, I've never seen theatres like that. You mean backstage facilities? Yes, or, yeah. dressing rooms. I had a dressing room that I thought belonged to Norma Desmond, quite <laughs> frankly, because it was just the height of luxury... And I just my mirror was a an omega sign in bulbs. I mean, what? And uh, all I had to do was put on a tux. That was I felt bad I didn't have any makeup on in the show, but it was really quite something. And the seats can move in those auditoriums as well. Um, the the opera house in Dubai as well. I must say, is quite 
quite extraordinary. It can be used for banquets, for functions, for weddings, for musicals, for rock concerts, for classics. And even for opera. Even for opera. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's out of this world what's going on. It's an exciting time for uh, a theatre practitioner, certainly. Yeah. And I think we do our productions often go to Europe because the the mm. fact that Chicago went to Europe now mm. seemed a little unusual to me because they presumably there are different laws there in terms of who's allowed to work and who's yes. not allowed to work and so on. Well, think of Dada Masila and all of her work that is constantly going. Um, Cape Town Opera, you know, their showboat and, and Porgy and Bess has been, I don't know, in yeah, how they've many been kept European going for years. It, yeah. It's possible. It certainly is possible, and times are changing, and I think it's also a reflection of our talent levels, and those audiences are very discerning, and the fact that they are happy to have a South African production in there should tell you volumes about our level. Well, here comes, since we're talking about South Africans flying all through the <laughs> world, here comes the flying theme from E.T., The flying theme from E.T. John Williams wrote the music. That was the London Symphony Orchestra conducted by Jonas Alba. Has there ever been a stage production of E.T.? No, but I, I think it's a very, not. very good yeah. idea. I mean, all these big movies like Lion King and, I mean, they've all been on the stage as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I think the thing is, would, would E.T. be able to sing? That's the question. Exactly. <laughs> be a very short song, but um, certainly his tap dance sequence would be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine the bicycle rides. Oh, over the audience. Yeah. See, Mary Poppins did that already. Yeah. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. Um, it's an outdoor spectacular. Yeah. What roles would you like to do that you haven't done yet? Do you know, Richard, I... Five years ago, people could say that, and you'd have a list as long as you're on. But I've had this realization. Um, I'd actually like to think that they haven't been written yet. I'd like something original for a change. Um, I've, I've done roles that have changed my career, that I've inherited from other people, and I'm very, very grateful for those. Looking forward into the future, I'd like to think that the roles that I'm going to really enjoy doing next will be written for me. I just have to meet those composers and those writers. And, you know, original work in South Africa used to be a very rare thing, but it's becoming more commonplace, which is exciting. We would be getting, you know, already produced written pieces in this country, and we were excited to do it, and we still are. I'd like to think that we're now going to turn a corner, and we're going to be making those shows that will be going to other countries and other actors will be excited to play. Um, some, homegrown some homegrown stuff would be amazing. Yeah. And we've got some extremely talented composers here too. We really do. Yeah. We really do. And some great stories. You know, Africa and South Africa are actually storytelling places. So it's part of got, the culture. Yeah, and we've got great stories to tell. And I, I, in many ways, I think our audiences love a good story. In fact, they de definitely do. They're love crying a good story. out for it yeah. all the time. And I think the fact that music is in our blood, storytelling is in our blood, and uh, a, a love of hearing is in our blood. All of those elements come together perfectly in the theatre. And I, I just think it's we're on the precipice. I, I can see something's coming. I mean, I know you feel it too. Yeah. Um, there's a big 
big uh, change coming, and I think it's I think it's wonderful. Yeah, and we've got some brilliant orchestrators and writers here. Our infrastructure composers. is yeah. finally at the same level as our ability, and I think th- that we're that ready for it. We are ready for yeah. it. Well, and here's a story that came out of Africa. First performed in Africa was Aida mm. for the opening of the Suez Canal. Uh, Giuseppe Verdi is the composer, and it's the Triumphal March. The fabulous Triumphal March from Aida by Verdi, the London Symphony Orchestra and Chorus under Richard Hickox. And that was my grandfather's favorite piece of music. It reminds me of him every single time. We, um, he used to listen to Classic FM. And whenever it came on, he would uh, he'd he'd stop the conversation to listen to that brass part. Never ever forget it. So that's th- that that was for him wherever he is. Is there music, or was there music in your family? Um, my family were fans of music, not uh, practitioners. They, they never yeah. partook. Um, I came from a very uh, I come from a very. Um, this sounds so strange to say. People who see me um, on stage and they they hear what I do assume that I come from a very, very exceptional family. I come from a very normal family. Um, I was the exception to the rule. Um, Not that I was adopted, but I I certainly found it very difficult to trace my abilities back. Um, My great-grandfather was part of the BBC. Um, He uh, was an announcer. He was part of the radio. Um, but that is about it. Um, my mother was a, a secretary. My father was a car battery salesman. Uh, my grandparents owned a construction company called SACAP. They did all the shop fittings once upon a time for uh, Cresta. And um, th- that was kind of it. Yeah, you see, now, again, it's that story of someone who was teaching you who noticed something. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, my my mother certainly adored me. Um, my father, you know, sang along mm. whenever he... But there was never any... Uh, nobody sat down at the piano. Yeah. Nobody showed any propensity for it. Yeah. And when I came along and said, I think I'd like to learn to play the piano, um, my father reminded me of a story that when I was very young, I had a little red plastic piano with a little music box inside. And if he wanted to get me into the car, he put it on the back seat. That's how he lured me in. So there was something in my DNA that just, you know. But it needed someone to unlock it, really. Absolutely. Um, And I I had someone like that at school who unlocked the world of music for me. It It was was amazing. No, I was very, again, I don't believe in luck. I believe in timing. And those gentlemen that I spoke about in my primary school, and even if I think back to my nursery school, um, you know, Mrs. Draper back then uh, one most people know the story, but I'll t- I'll tell it anyway. Uh, we had a circus day, and we had to go dressed up as certain characters. And I'd forgotten my costume, but I I found a top hat um, in the dress up room, and I took her megaphone that she used to, you know, yell at the children out on the playgrounds. And you were the ringmaster. I was the ringmaster. <laughs> and when my mother collected me at the end of the day, Mrs. Draper said to her, Mrs. Rocksmith. It would appear that you have a Broadway baby on your hands. And then she says, I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> that kind of she saw it. Yeah. Um, and Mr. McShane and Mr. Solomon certainly saw it. And from there on, I've I've been very uh, blessed to be in the right time at the right place yeah. to have people like Peter Turin who who just taught me everything else, the business side of things. Ian von Memerty, who saw something in a very pimply, overweight child at an audition for Greece at the Barnyard Theatre, and he said, he's the guy. Um, between those two, um, Nick Jordan at Northcliffe High School, who does the most amazing things with the major productions every yeah, year. They still do them. Um, yeah. You know, They go down to Durban. Yeah. Um, David Klein was the principal at Northcliffe who who, dis, who said that if the rugby boys can go on tour, so should the drama boys. Um, I've been surrounded by people who have been able to think long term um, and recognized something in me that would need time to grow or be developed. And they all had the, the particular patience and drive to deal with my, you know, dear my car yeah. head sometimes. And to say it, it, it paid off sounds so mercenary, yeah. but I, it's not lost on me that I've been fortunate to have the right people at the right time taking a risk on me. Well, and, and your next choice actually is all about it because it's the sorcerer's apprentice. Mm-hmm. But to have an apprentice, you have to have a real sorcerer to draw this magic out of you. And here it comes. This is Paul Ducat. He's a composer, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. That was part of The Sorcerer's Apprentice by Paul Ducat, played by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under James Levine, the choice of Jonathan Rocksmith, my guest in People of Note. And you are a sort of sorcerer. Well, anyone who's on the stage is a sorcerer, really, because you're creating... It's theater magic. Theater magic, yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah. I think the the best thing about the, the theater that um, even even something like Phantom really highlights is... The, the the way that an audience fills in the gaps with their, in, with their imagination. You know, th- everybody thinks that the set of Phantom, for instance, is this enormous thing. It's actually not. There's lots of negative space. You know, it's just a, it's a black box with a few ornate curtains and an organ. But audiences, I'll never forget the one person said to me, I love that manager's scene. The bookcases were beautiful in the office. And I said to him, there's a desk and a curtain. That's it. Yeah. His mind, yeah, and I think that's the, the mind. that's the yeah. that's the beautiful thing about the theatre. We we fill in gaps that we don't even realise, and that's what makes the experience so personal every yeah. time. It's not prescribed like a film or a TV show. You have a part to play, and again, you collaborate with what's going on on stage, and that's what I adore. And people say to me, "Don't you want to do movies?" Absolutely not. The theatre is live, and it needs something from you. Because and quite frankly, when the audiences and this is going to make me sound a little controversial, but when audiences are lazy and watch the theatre the way they do television, it's not the same. The best audiences realise that they are watching the theatre. They've got to be engaged. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope that you go on engaging us and bewitching us for many years yet. Um, you know, you, who knows where your plans are going to take you? Because when the time is right and somebody offers you something somewhere else. Then you'll be Absolutely. off there. Yeah. It, it would also be an opportunity to fly the flag elsewhere, yeah. and that's something I, I wouldn't take lightly. But, however, in the meantime, what, is, what, what would it take to do something with you? 
Aha. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's now on record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll have to find something. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure we will find something because you've been in Starlight Classic. There are other things that you could do too, so we must think about this. But we have to catch you when you're here. This is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> and when you're not working here because your next thing here, apart from a few days at Little Falls just to relax Indeed. and have a braai, <laughs> will be from the 13th of September to the 6th of October at Monte Cassino where you're doing Lenny, Andrew, Steve, and me. And that booking is at CompuTicket. So... Keep your eyes open for when Jonathan Rocksmith is back in South Africa, and then you'll know what's cooking here with Wonderful. him. But thank you for making time thank to you. come in and talk to us. Now, your final choice is? It's the, uh, it's the overture from the, the, the least known Rodgers and Hammerstein, State Fair. And that's what's going to take us up to 8 o'clock, which is when this program ends. From me, Jonathan Rocksmith, thank you so much for listening. And that was State Fair by Rogers and Hammerstein. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Pete for helping us put the program together. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good evening.